Um, Pastor Steve um, started, started by, by just sharing the idea that we need to say yes to God and have a backbone. And I, as, as I started to hear the unfolding of the theme of what God has said, I just kind of started to chuckle. I thought, I could tell them what I'm going to preach on Sunday, but they might not believe me. They might not think that I actually had planned this in advance, or maybe even the Holy Spirit planned it in advance. But I actually sent my notes long before I heard what they were going to preach, and I, I actually believe that the Lord is saying something to this house over the course of the weekend. Not just prophetically over individuals, but I believe God's talking to us about our, our future, our destiny. Keys to unlock the call of God. And that's really the purpose of presbytery is to actually help establish the gift of God, the call of God, the purpose of God in believers' lives. Presbytery sets boundaries in place. It unlocks perspective. It establishes gifting. It strengthens the house. It enlarges the borders of the house. But there's something about presbytery that has to be stirred in the hearts of every individual where they begin to say no to some things and yes to others. There's a sense of boundary that has to begin to be established. And, and uh, I, I, as I was thinking about this preparing, I, I was immediately taken to Deuteronomy chapter 7. And this is why I, I um, am just laying this, this statement or these two words in front of you today, not today, because I believe that as a church you've been on a journey and you're going to continue to be on a journey and each individual's on a journey, but the collective journey is called the church. It's called the family. We all bring our individual journeys and we combine them together because God places the solitary in families. And when we join ourselves together, there's something that God does, but there has to be a collective sound that comes from the church. Even as you're hearing a lot of individual stuff, there has to become a collective sound among the tribe, among the family, where not just individuals are asked to say yes and no, but now the family starts to say yes and no. And I started to think about a time in our, in our biblical account and record and the people of God and the history, and I started to think of Deuteronomy chapter 7, where uh, the, the people of God were called to inherit a promise, and they were given prophetic promise. But even as they crossed over and began to enter their promised land according to prophetic direction, they had to say no to some things. Because there were giants in the land, there were inhabitants in the land, and they had to drive them out. They had to possess their land. And there were reasons why they had to do that. And <clears throat> I'd like to suggest that as God begins to speak to a congregation, you actually, in that prophetic moment, start to capture a snapshot of what God has in mind, but you're going to have to fight to get it. And the fight is not a flesh and blood fight although it may manifest in flesh and blood situations. Like in the tangible universe, you might experience some difficulty, but I want to tell you that there's a force, there's a spirit of darkness, there's something that's trying to stop you in the midst of natural scenarios, but you're not fighting the natural, you're actually fighting a prophetic uh, uh, spirit, you're, you're fighting uh, a spirit of darkness, and you're, you're actually trying to advance the cause of Christ, and so we've got to say no to some dark things. And Deuteronomy chapter 7 actually gives us some instruction. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you. So the Lord does do a lot of clearing. 
But listen to this. He lists several, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, I, 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 Ites. Seven nations, and listen to this, more numerous and mightier than you. You're actually up against a battle you cannot win on your own. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. So the Lord will help you, but you're going to have to mop up some of the destruction. There's a work that you're just going to have to invest yourself in. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. there's, There's a God responsibility and then there's a man responsibility. God will give you insight. He'll open doors. You'll cross over. There'll be prophetic moments and moments of opportunity. But when you get there, you're going to have to choose to say no to covenants. You're going to have to choose to say no to influence. You're going to choose to have to say no to uh, showing mercy. There's some things that you're going to have to say no to and just simply say, no, not, not today. Yeah. Not today. I, I can't entertain that thought. I can't go there uh, because if I show mercy, there's going to be influence. And when there's influence, I'm going to begin to surrender the prophetic word and the promise of God to that thing. And so I'm just going to have to be able to draw some lines. The, the Hittites, if I just simply go through all of the ites, uh, I could teach for weeks. But the reality is uh, each one of those enemies represent a particular enemy that you and I would face in our own prophetic journey. The Hittites would represent the need to overcome fear. The Girgashites represent the need to to break out of old cycles of patterns of defeat. Uh, The Hivites represent our need to keep truth pure. Uh, Every one of these enemies, if you study them and look at their background and and look at who they were as a people group, there was a reason why God said, you're going to have to say no, not Today, the Canaanites represent those that gain control through subtle, skillful persuasion. And so as you look at the personality of each one of these tribes, you realize why they needed to be defeated. If we just pause for a few minutes today and look at the Perizzites, there's something very specific that we have to say no to as it relates to this enemy. And I, I felt like there's an impartation around this idea of the Perizzites. Who were the Perizzites? The Perizzites were those who, uh, they were isolated ones who roamed in unprotected spaces. They were isolated ones who roamed in unprotected spaces. And there's a couple of verses that I'll I'll read to you that kind of give some form of reference. Um, Exodus 23 says, for my angel, I will go before you and I'll bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, so you may live there and I'll destroy them completely. But you can't worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their evil practices. And if you're taking notes, you should probably write down that word practices because it it really will play into uh, the the thought around parasites, practices. Instead, you must utterly destroy them and smash their sacred pillars. Another portion from Exodus 23, verse 32 and 33 says, don't make a covenant with them or with their gods. Don't let them live in your land. They will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. So you've got practices and you've got snares and you've got this potential 
to be taken out. So we've got to smash the idols. We can't worship them. We've got to say no. Why? Because there, there is influence and impact if we don't. So if we're going to understand parasites, the isolated ones who roam in unprotected spaces, we've got to stop and ask ourselves the questions, what were the practices of the parasites? If I'm going to learn something from the scriptures and say, what is it about the parasites that I need to uh, be on guard for and say not today to? What do I need to understand? I've got to understand their practices. Well, um, we, we all have practices every day of our life. I remember when I was dating my wife, um, we, uh, we were in college and we would go home on the weekends. We lived about 30 minutes apart and so oftentimes we'd, we'd go for the weekend and I'd drop her off at her mom and dad's and then I would go home to my mom and dad's and over the course of the weekend we'd touch base from time to time. And, but on Saturday night I'd go down and stay with her grandparents who lived right down the street from her. And I'd stay on Saturday night and uh, get up on Sunday morning, and her grandparents were um, lifetime members of the Lutheran Church. They were um, uh, Swedes, and they, they, they loved God, and uh, were very simple in their faith. And every week, they would put a list of questions together waiting for me to get there on Saturday night, and we'd get up on Sunday morning, and she'd have her little spiral-bound notebook with her list of questions from the week about God and theology and life. And, and every Sunday morning, Morning, they made me peach waffles. They, they were just great waffles, and they put peaches on top, and we'd sit over peach waffles and talk theology, and I loved every minute of it. It's fantastic. And you know, here's the thing. Last night, we were ministering to a couple who uh, were missionaries to the Navajo people, um, and uh, I... I as we ministered, I went down and I said to my wife, I miss your grandma and grandpa tonight. There's something, how many know that practices influence your life? Just daily routines. Schedules, things we partake of. I, one of the things my wife and I love to do on Fridays, we, we live about an hour and a half from the coast. We, we live in Camas, Washington, and and uh, we like on Fridays, which is our uh, day off together, we get up in the morning and we often drive to the coast for a day. We drive an hour and a half and there's a little place called the Bow Picker in Astoria, Oregon, where we have fish and chips. And the thing is, we have taken our kids there from the time uh, before they were conceived. Like we, we, just when they were in our minds, before they were real, like we've taken our, we, we've gone for, to the Bow Picker for years for fish and chips. And, and now if you ask our kids, man, what do you want to do for the day? Do you want to go to the coast? They're like, yeah, let's go to the bow picker and get fish and chips. Yeah. How many know your practices influence your life? In fact, I'd like to suggest that our practices actually begin to build a culture in which we live. The practices of the parasites are, are, are something that we have to stop and think about. What were their practices. Exodus 23, 24 says you can't worship the gods of these nations or serve them in any way or imitate their practices. The word practices actually means things that are done or things that are made. Don't imitate the things that they do or the things. So, so don't imitate the Saturday schedule and don't imitate peach waffles. That's what he's saying. Don't imitate either one of those things. 
Because if you imitate those things, they're going to influence you. What, what were the practices of the Perizzites? The fact is, if you, if you study the 23 verses of the Perizzites in the Bible, um, you don't get a really clear picture, and because you don't get a really clear picture, that in and of itself tells you something. They were isolated. They were roamers, and they dwelt in unpre... They never really settled down as a people. You couldn't find where they live. In fact, there's, there's a couple of qualities about them that I think we need to understand. One is that they just simply blended in. As an entire people, they just blended in. I, I wonder if it's right to just blend in, or if God has called us to stand out. To blend in, I, I actually, wherever I go, have to take on the practices of whoever I'm around in order to blend in. I actually have to naturally posture myself and position myself. One, one scholar named Trevor Bryce said this. He said, the parasites cannot be linked to any specific people or land known from extra-biblical sources, which simply means this. Nobody is able to pin them down. When they were with the Canaanites, they looked like the Canaanites. When they were with the Hivites, they looked like the Hivites. Can I tell you that if you imitate the practice of the Perizzites, then you're going to look like everybody else all the time. But what God has called us to do as the church of Jesus Christ is to understand what our prophetic destiny is and stand out in this era, stand out in this time, stand up and be a voice, not an echo. One of the things I love about the prophetic word is it helps bring a sense of identity. Who does your father say that you are? The practices. But they were also isolated. They lived outside of cities and villages. They, 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 they never really stayed in one place long enough to build anything. They didn't settle down and establish anything. They, the Canaanites built cities and lived in them. The Perizzites never did. They actually felt particular safety in never settling down. They ruled themselves and they lived to a certain degree separate even from each other. History will tell you that the Perizzites would, would build communities, but even separate within their own uh, nation or people group, they would actually live separate from each other and not really integrate. They were isolated. But they also lived independent. While they were isolated, the Perizzites would, would, would um, form an alliance to fit in at key moments and if they were threatened in any way, they would immediately withdraw from the alliance and not fulfill their end of the bargain. You can actually read about that in Joshua chapter 9. I don't have time to, uh, to dive into that, but, but let me just explain what happened. The nation of Israel was going into battle against the Canaanite king, and so some of the other people groups whom 
were being driven out, rallied together, one of which were the Perizzites. And the Bible gives the entire account. And so the Perizzite king rallied his independent, isolated groups of people to come and join with the Canaanite king. And they cut, they, they, they made an agreement. We'll fight together against the people of God. And what happened is the people of God triumphed, which if we'll follow the purpose of God and say, not today, we're going to triumph. Amen? Well, the people of God triumphed. But the Perizzite king was not taken captive, only the Canaanite king was. Because when push came to shove, the Perizzites left the battle. Oh man, I'm telling you, I may be preaching over some people's heads, but I don't think I'm preaching over this room's head. I think you're picking up what I'm throwing down. The practice of the enemy in our culture today would be to get you to blend in, to live isolated, to live independent. And those practices, the Bible says, actually become a snare. What is a snare? A snare is a noose around your neck. It's a clamp around your ankle. And, and this is the snare. We've, if, we've got, if we've got practices that become a snare, then we have to stop and say, then what is the snare that the enemy would be setting for you, the snare of the parasites. Exodus 23, 32 says, don't make a covenant with them or their gods. Don't let them live in your land or they'll cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare. What, what is the snare? I think for every practice, there's a snare. For the snare of blending in or for the practice of blending in, here's the snare. It's a lack of identity. It's a lack of identity. I have felt so stirred all weekend long that God has called Joy Church to be a voice of identity in this region. When you spend your whole life trying to blend in, you have no identity. You don't know who you are. You don't know who your dad is. You don't know who your mom is. You don't know what voice to listen to. But a loss of identity puts you in a vulnerable place. Other sources begin to shape you. They form. They set the course for our lives. And the fact is that humanity's purpose and our one true identity is stamped on our lives in creation. And it can only be furthered and developed when we find our place in the family of God. The only people that will speak to our true identity are our true five-fold leaders in the body of Christ and a family of saints and people who love God, mothers and fathers in the faith and brothers and sisters and people that will come around us and actually speak to who you really are, not just what you do, but who you are. You're not what you did. I got three kids that I love and every one of them at some point in the journey, and by the way, I, my wife, my parents, everybody around me that I know has done something at some point that's not in alignment with who I really am or who they really are. But it, when we do something, we have to stop and realize that's not who I am. But who will tell you that? Family tells you that. True family will tell you that. 
I'm telling you, people, people in Medford right now are being told they're worthless. They're being told they're something that they're not physically, emotionally, mentally. But when I, when I speak to people who are struggling to believe in the purpose of God in their life, I constantly come back to the one who created them, and I, and I remind them of Genesis 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Image simply means in the form of, likeness means in function. God has actually called you to look like him and act like him on this earth. That's how he shaped you. That's how he formed you. And he knew you before you were even uh, conceived in your mother's womb. He knew exactly who you were. And that's why he's saying, don't act like the parasites because it will become a snare. And the snare is your identity will be robbed from you. It will be extracted from you. It will be taken from you. And if you allow that to happen... All of my promises that I've laid out, all of the blessings that I've stored up for you will not be able to be accessed. So come back to your creator. Come back to your originator. Come back to the inception and say, you are the one who created me. And because you created me, you have the privilege of defining me. So I'm going to believe your word and I will not imitate the practices of the parasites because they will become a snare to me. So I will say... Not today. I will say not today. Not today. Why do you think Paul said to Timothy, make war with the prophecies made concerning you. Give yourself entirely to them. Why? Because there's, there's a, a devil who's going to be fishing through the parasites wanting you to just blend in and, and not give yourself to the word. Joy has not been called to blend in. Joy has been called to stand out. The world doesn't get to define what beauty is. The world doesn't get to define what a body looks like. The world doesn't get to define what your gifting is. The world doesn't get to define what a church looks like. Come on, I'm here to tell you today that God, the creator, the progenitor of this world and the human race is the one who gets to define us. And by the way, he has written a book with your name on it. The Lord, I believe, is here today to, to breathe and all weekend long on this house. To actually stir us up and awaken our thoughts. To give us again a perception and some insight is to where maybe we've just kind of allowed ourselves to slide into a sense of normal routine. We've put gratitude on the shelf and we've stopped being sharp as it relates to the purpose of God in our life. And he's wanting to stir us again to say, don't let the activity of the parasites woo you into losing your calling and your purpose. So what is the answer to a lack of identity? It's certainly not living alone and in isolated places. It's going back and discovering the voice, the will, and the purpose of God for your life again. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans that I have for you. <laughs> you know, that's what presbytery is about, the plans of God being heard. 
I don't know about you, maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you'd even just stop and listen to what I'm saying and you'd say, Daryl, I'm not sure that I'm able even to wrap my mind fully around what you're saying. I want you to come to the place today where you realize, first of all, that you've been created by God, that you're loved by Him, He's got plans for you. And when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said, understand the will of the Lord. It means we can find our way in God into a place of understanding where we start to hear His voice and know His will. And we discover our calling and our purpose and we find our place in the family of God. And we know what it is to actually take the snare off of our foot and the noose from around our neck. And we say, I might struggle to believe in the identity of the kingdom of heaven, but, but I'm going to trust God in this process. And I'm going to listen to his voice, and I'm going to lean in and believe it, and I'm going to discover God's purpose and his will for my life. The second thing I'm going to do is I'm actually going to engage in body life by being in a group other than just a Sunday weekend service. I heard you guys talking about groups, but I, I want to tell you, life can never be lived alone. If we're going to know our true identity, then I've got to first of all say, God, help me understand your will and your purpose for my life. But secondly, I can't roam and live in isolated places because that's what the parasites do. And if I stay in their practices, that's going to become a snare to me. I'm going to lose my identity. So, God, I'm going to engage in group life, not just in attendance life. I, I, I don't know where you're at in this journey, but I think 100% of the Joy Church family should be regular faithful attenders to weekend services, but we should be just as faithful to group life outside of this gathering. I can't live life alone. But the third thing I've got to do is I've got to be willing to take off the mask and become vulnerable. You see, the thing is, I can attend church and glorify God, maybe even have a, a sense of a prophetic word and maybe even know what my purpose is and be in a group and do some Bible study. But I can still live isolated and sit in a group. The practice of the parasites was, oh man, they're, they're kind of like, the Israelites are getting kind of close in their camp to us, so they just pick up camp and move somewhere else. You know, we do this all the time. We pick up camp in our soul and move somewhere else. We live just distant enough that when somebody gets close and they say, you know, you're, you're looking a little discouraged. Oh, no, I'm fine. I'm doing good. Bless God. What would it look like at Joy if we kicked the parasites in the teeth and just said, I'm going to be honest. I, I'm having a really bad day and I'm, I'm really down. To, to attend a group is, is step one. But let me tell you one of the practices of the parasites that leads to a snare. Isolation will not allow for interdependence. Two are very different things. 
To live in community is proximity. But to live in interdependence is about reliance. I can be in community and not be interdependent. Interdependence happens when I'm vulnerable. I take the mask off and I say, I'm going to rely on you with information that nobody else knows, with a struggle that I can't carry on my own. I'm going to take Galatians 3 and it's going to matter. I'm going to bear one another's burdens. There's a part of my load I can't carry on my own. I, I need to live in true community. Not every relationship is that kind of relationship, but we should find those kind. If we're going to be the joy church God's called us to be, We've got to be passionate about discovering God's purpose for our life. We've got to be passionate about engaging in group life outside the gathering so we start to build community. We've got to be willing to move beyond just community and move into interdependence where I take the mask off and become vulnerable. And in doing so, we stand against the tide of parasite culture and we build the family of God on this earth. And every prophetic word becomes a yes and an amen because we said to the devil, not today. Come on, I want you to stand to your feet with me today. I want everybody just simply bow your heads, close your eyes with me if you would. If you're here today and you, you, you just feel a stirring in your heart, you've listened to what I've said and you realize, I, I don't even know that I, I really know God or... Maybe I know of him, but I've not been serving him. I've not been walking with him. And you realize you need, a, you need God to come into your life through the person of Jesus Christ and your sins to be forgiven. And you want to join God. Before you join his family, you've got to join him. And let me tell you, he wants to join you. <laughs> he created you. He wants to put a stamp on your life. If you simply want to join God today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to do something very bold, not to embarrass you, but just simply to join with you and to pray with you. I'm going to ask you just to put your hands straight up in the air and say, Daryl, today is the day I'm going to give my life to Christ. Thank you. Come on, anybody else, just lift your hand high. Keep it up for just a moment. Come on, anybody else. And if you, if you raised your hand and you meant that, we're going to pray a prayer right now. And I want you, church, to just pray this with me. All together, as somebody joins God in this great family, come on, that spans the generations, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of sins. Cleanse me. I want to surrender everything to you. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for redeeming me. I give everything to you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, would you give a big hand to this one that's responding today? If you're here today and you say, Daryl, this word means something to me beyond a salvation experience, but in my life... I'm struggling with identity. I'm struggling with purpose. Or maybe there's some clarity coming. There's some things I need to say not today to. If that's you and this word means something to you, would you raise your hand? 
Come on, it means something to me. Come on, let's lift our hands right now and let's just kind of posture ourselves before the Lord. Father, today we thank you. We thank you for what you're going to do, what you have been doing, what you're doing at Joy Church, Medford and Grants Pass and La Paz and Eugene. And I thank you, God, Lord, for what's coming in this place. Thank you that there's a sound of identity coming out of this house. There's a sound of resistance to the work of the parasites. And Father, across this room today, we pray that the voice of the Lord would be heard above every other voice. I pray that a clarion sound, a sound of sonship, a sound of family, Lord, let it come from this house in this season in Jesus' name. Let the purpose of God swell like a mighty tsunami, Lord, welling up in this house and crashing over this region. Lord, let it be a new sound, a sound of identity, a sound of clarity, a sound of family in Jesus' name. And Lord, we resist the tide of the enemy and the work of darkness that would try to swell and enlarge and engulf the people of God. I pray instead that your purpose would prevail in this region and every spirit of darkness, Lord, would be condemned and would find their place even in the lake of fire. I resist them now and I declare over this house that this is a new day. It is a new hour. It is a new chapter. Father, a purpose of advancement of your kingdom coming into this region. Lord, we pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.